This is the official podcast of the 122nd Fighter Wing. Views and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of the 122nd Fighter Wing, Air National Guard, or United States government. No endorsement of any person or business is ever intended. Welcome to Black Snake Bites, the official podcast of the 122nd Fighter Wing. Our mission is to inform, motivate, and inspire 122nd Fighter Wing airmen, attract new recruits to the U.S. Air Force, and promote engagement with the broader Fort Wayne, Indiana community. We hope you enjoy this episode. back to another Black Snake Bites podcast. Your host today, Senior Master Sergeant Leslie Kaiser, First Sergeant of the Maintenance Squadron. And on air with us today, we have three chiefs representing our chief council to kick us off with our panel interview series. Chief Gallo, we have Chief Gorman and Chief Ravid. Chiefs, will you just go around the table and tell us a little bit about yourselves? Yes, this is Chief Gallo. I'm the maintenance group superintendent. Uh, I've been at base here since 2004, and I've been in total for almost 32 years. Hello, this is Chief Gorman. I am the chief for the maintenance operations flight. I entered the base here back in 2002. Prior to that, I had a little over eight years of active duty, some Army National Guard experience as well, which gives me a whopping 36-plus years in the military. All right, this is Chief Ravid. I'm the Mission Support Group SEL. I've uh, joined the unit in uh, 2007. I've been in a total of 24 years, including six years active. I've served uh, in the weapons flight in uh, Inspector General Office as well before uh, joining MSG. Chiefs, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today and allowing us to kick off with this panel interview, taking time out of your busy weekend. Um, just doing a little bit of quick math, that was almost 80 or more years of experience in this room. So I really appreciate that and you guys bringing your knowledge and wisdom to the table. This series was actually recommended to learn more about our key roles in between spotlighting our airmen on the base episodes. So the goal in creating this panel and this interview style around the table was to hear from you all and hearing chiefs answer real questions from our airmen. All right, guys, let's dive in. Just going to go straight for the good old softball for you guys. What's the best part of being a chief? It's Chief Gallo. Uh, I think the best part for me is just being able to watch, you know, those under you just grow and develop. Um, Hopefully some changes you've made along the way have paved way for others to succeed. And just watching people gain rank and experience along the way. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. And was the first thought that came to my mind was mentorship, the ability to to mentor younger, maybe older, doesn't doesn't really matter. But just people look up to you just because of the rank and what you've achieved. And it's it's a great feeling when when anyone, it doesn't matter what the rank is, approaches you and asks you some questions and they're just looking for some advice and a way forward. And I think that's probably one of the best parts of being a chief. Yeah. Yeah, I concur. I echo what my fellow chiefs say. Uh, the other part that comes to mind is being able to have an impact on the wing when we're talking about uh, the different policies, procedures, or things that are impacting our airmen. Um, we have an ability to, you know, influence that change for the better. What personal skills do you think are most helpful in the role of being a chief? Like, what have you developed and kind of used along the way in your career, personally and professionally, that has really shaped you into the chief you are today? 
I think I think you always need to listen before you speak. And by saying that, you need to listen to the people, listen to what people have to say before you just blurt out your opinion or speak to a matter. You know, you have to you understand what the people needs are. So you always need to listen first. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that that I've learned along the way is when you you do need to make a decision that's going to be impactful in, in any way is put yourself in in their shoes. How is this going to affect them? How, you know, and how would that affect you if you were in their shoes? And more than likely, we've all been there and have lived it at one point or time or another. So we have that experience to lean on. And I think it's important that, you know, we look at it from their perspective. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is uh, follow-up. The importance of, you know, when somebody comes to us with a concern, we may not be able to resolve the concern, but we do need to follow up with the individual and then also be accessible. Uh, you know, it's it's hard when we drill one weekend a month, uh, but we're always available to our units. Um, I know my I get text messages throughout in between drills uh, all hours of night sometimes. So we do need to be accessible for our airmen. I agree. The uh, perspective of a chief, how do you see that playing into the mission? We talk about listening first, responding to the needs, following up. How does that affect the mission overall? Well, I think that the first thing that comes to my mind is that it makes it what we're doing is showing the people that they matter. So if they're coming to us and we're answering our questions, whether that's via text, in person, phone calls, whatever the case may be, and we take the time out of our day. Because they do matter, right? Like that's, that's why we're doing it. They absolutely do matter. They matter. And they're all going to fill our shoes someday because we already talked about how long we've been around. That means we're not going to be around much longer. So That's right. Get ready. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as a chief, even though you're at the top of your enlisted rank, you still have several bosses, if not even more, because you work for more people. So who would you actually say your boss is? That's a great question. Uh, there's several layers to that. So initially... You know, we work for the commanders. Uh, we're part of the triad, uh, which is a critical function within the units. However, when you start peeling back those layers and we look at the Little Brown Book, we have a responsibility to our younger officer corps. We have a responsibility to the senior NCOs, the, air, uh, the NCOs, and the airmen. So we do have, really have a responsibility to everybody here um, at the wing to make sure that we're nurturing their development and, then, of course, maintaining focus on the mission. That's a lot of bosses. How do you guys handle all that? It's just like being a dad. If you've got kids and a wife, you know, you've got all the bosses, but yet you're the boss of them as well. So, you know, I, I actually relate a lot of my leadership skills and my leadership style as the same as being part of a family. Because, I mean, I know we use it a lot out here that, you know, this is our military family, but there is absolutely a lot of truth to that. And I can literally see a lot of parallels to both of those things. What would you say, since being in the military, you've learned most about yourself that you wouldn't have known had you not been in the military? I would say one of the, the most important things that I've learned, and it was very early on, was just gaining confidence that I could do more than I realized I could do, that I was, you know, and I think that's very valuable for anybody, and I hope that everybody has a little bit of that, and but just getting that confidence and and trying new things that you just didn't think were possible prior to. I'll add to you're going to learn more from your failures than you will your success. And as leaders, we need to be able to accept those failures. And, you know, that that's how we learn and we get better. And when we're in our training environment and we're here at the wing, this is learning. This is training for us. So 
mistakes are going to happen. We learn from those mistakes. We get better. What I really enjoy about the Chiefs is I learned that you don't necessarily have to be previously in your shop that you're now a chief of. Like Chiefs, they're, I'm not going to say interchangeable, but Chiefs can be moved around to any section, even if you didn't have a job in that prior shop. How do you make that transition? Because I know when I made the transition from medical to maintenance, there was a little bit of a whirlwind. Just a little. Just a little, yeah. But now it's like, oh, this is just the second home and I love it. So how do you guys as chiefs make those transitions if you didn't grow up in that shop? Well, for me, I have a very unique perspective with that. And during the week, I am the propulsion NCOIC or running engine shop. And then on the weekends, I'm over maintenance operations flight, which I like to say MOF is the glue that holds maintenance together. So they schedule a lot of things. They control the flight line. I mean, it's training, all kinds of different stuff. But my, I think the thing that's challenging for me is going from, you know, I'm here during the week, so that kind of helps quite a bit. And so I feel like in a way I am a DSG, but I one with benefits, I guess. But it's I'm learning a whole new aspect of maintenance. I've been in maintenance for 37 years, darn near. And, you know, this is something I never knew. This is a whole new world. And what they do is very important. And I'm proud to be a part of that. But I'm still constantly learning because I'm learning what they do. I mean, we've all seen across the base these different type of positions like this. And we know how they impact us and they impact our, our airmen. But to really see behind the scenes what they're doing and how hard they work at it is very impressive to me. And so I guess to shorten that up, it's just it's just a unique perspective to, to juggle those two jobs just like a DSG has to do. And it helps right. me understand them more as well. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll add, it's actually, I feel like it's helped me in my career. You know, being a former maintainer and then going to the IG and spending some time in the IG, I got to see perspective across the wing and understand their there is more than just maintenance. <laughs> and it's hard when you're a maintainer and you're in your shop and you, you know, you grow up in one shop and then being mission support now, you know, he talked about the glue for, for maintenance. MSG has a huge impact here at the wing, especially with the conversion and all the other missions that exist here at the wing. You know, obviously we put a lot of focus to the, the jets that are on the ramp, but we, there's a lot of critical missions that we provide here and it's allowed me to stay humble and then, you know, see the different things that we do. Cause there's a lot of interesting things. Uh, that our airmen are doing day in and day out. So, Chief Ravid, I know you're a little passionate about this, so I wanted to actually direct this question towards you. Being a senior enlisted leader, or SEL, it's a new title, quote-unquote, but it's kind of basically what you've already done. So how can we tie that in for the airmen that asked this question? What does SEL represent differently than the chief? So... The chief itself, we, we have a responsibility in, in our different areas we're assigned. And the senior enlisted leader, when we when, they, when it was redefined, and I know um, we joke about it at our level, uh, Facebook guidance. We do know that there's things that we receive from a national level that do come through social media sometimes. But there was an update to the little brown book that has gone through several evolutions. And the job title for the SEL used to be superintendent. So if it's, you know, uh, squadron, group, or wing, the the senior enlisted leader is that. It clearly defines what we're there for and what our responsibility is. And so that job title, even though 
you know, there's a lot of change. I've seen a lot of change in my 24 years, uh, just in that short time. But some of this change, I definitely see the value in and just helping our airmen understand, yeah, you, you could refer to me as a superintendent, but realistically, I am the senior enlisted leader for my area. And that's what my charge is. So I feel like that it helps define what I'm supposed to be doing. And that doesn't take away from the other chiefs. You know, we have chiefs here at the, the wing that don't necessarily have the SEL title, but they're still providing critical, critical functions within their AFSC. And they are still those sage advisors, you know, that are able to offer that influence on those career field specific items. I didn't know that. I thought it was uh, one and the same. So thank you for that clarification The from chief to SEL, but still both with a unique perspective. So in promoting to be a chief or a senior non-commissioned officer or senior NCO, as we like to shorten everything in the military, there's a board and an interview process with other higher ranking individuals. How does the 122nd get input, especially from within a section, from their subordinates or peers for the candidate and that they're a good fit? So meaning like if they're interviewing is the resume the only deciding factor? I know in the military we submit a promotion package. And so is that the only deciding factor to get promoted or is there a different vetting process? That is a great question. Uh, promotion boards are still somewhat new to the Guard. Uh, you know, in the AFI, in Chapter 10, the promotion AFI, it actually talks about our promotion board requirements. And this is actually something I feel like I've impacted in my short time being a chief here at the wing. Because while we had our, our predecessors give us the tools to set up the board, we, we realized there was gaps. So we've been doing the um, uh, working with top three in JEC. You know, we've been doing the mock boards, which we have our next round coming in November. And while the mock boards are designed to help our young airmen get to see what the board experience is like, get to, you know, we evaluate their package. Uh, we also have been training the board president and then the, the other supporting the board uh, because that was a gap. I remember the first board I was on, I, I was given some questions by the board president and we went right to it. And then as soon as I promoted the chief within, I think within my first drill, I actually chaired a board and we realized it's like, we shouldn't be doing this to our airmen. We need to make sure we're setting everyone up for success. So we've actually, uh, we're working on a project right now, myself and the other group SELs, where we're updating the wing and uh, group OIs. We wanna keep the simplistic nature of it but we want to, um, we're empowering the groups. So we're gonna make some tweaks. We recognize that today the promotion packages are a little bit confusing. Um, we want, it, it, the package is an important part, but it's not the only part. Right. Um, you're gonna have a recommendation from your shop level. And then depending on the rank that you're uh, boarding for, there's gonna be discussions with leadership to make sure we t understand the total package. So the board recommendation is one component of it, but it's not the only component. Okay. And the board, the package helps with the initial part, but that really the board is a chance to get to know you. So even if on that board package, let's say, you know, the formatting is a little bit off on the bio or the, the individual narrative um, maybe needs tweaked a little bit, that board, when I sit there, um, I get a chance to really get to know the airmen and ask those questions. And even in my board experience, I mean, I remember going through step boards. My last board, uh, you know, Chief Dixon, our, our state command chief, he asked me a question I couldn't answer. And I know I was beside myself after the board, and I didn't even think I was going to get recommendation. But I realized when I met with them afterwards and I got the recommendation from the board that the board is also a mentoring opportunity. We're there to help impart knowledge. And that's one of the ways we do that. Chief Ravid, I like how you are 
within your time as a chief, you've already solved a problem, but you also had a solution. I can I really appreciate that. I know being on the other side of the board too, all the nerves that go into that and to know now hearing it from you, you guys can be just as nervous sitting on the board. It gives me a little uh, hope I can calm those nerves before my next board. So as a chief, how have you impacted the wing or an airman since becoming a chief? Do you think you had to be a chief to make that impact? Well, I'm going to take this question, um, and you absolutely don't need to be a chief. Um, mentoring can come from anybody. Um, but one of the things, you know, that I, I've always done as a supervisor that's been, you know, sometimes it's kind of difficult, but it's to, you know, encourage your people to maybe look outside their own AFSC at other opportunities or to do volunteer type things, you know, get their name out there, you know, because some some of our AFSCs, you know, there's not a lot of upward movement. You get to say tech sergeant and you might not have a lot of opportunities for master or you get the master. You don't have a lot, a lot of opportunities for senior. You've got to be willing to, as the shirt said, step out of your comfort zone. And I did that as a first sergeant. And it was super scary to me because I did not want to get up and talk in front of a squadron or a group. And that's exactly what I had to do. But I can tell you that that was by far the best thing I ever did for my military career. It opened my eyes up to so many new different things. But to go back to that, the, the part of the question, you know, I didn't do that as a chief. I was selected as a chief in January. I literally just got promoted in May. So uh, some of the other chiefs around may call me a baby chief. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But my point is, is you can mentor anybody. And it's difficult as a supervisor to watch your good people walk out the door but it's just as cool to watch them walk out the door and succeed. Right. And you don't have to be a supervisor to do that. You can you can beat the guy, you know, their wingman. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. Everybody can be a mentor. And the thing I've always told everybody is never get in your own way. And what I mean by that is always have your PME done. Always have a passing fitness test because those are the two things that stop everybody. Don't get in your own way. It happened to me once. And I never let it happen again. And some opportunities literally fell in my lap. So always be ready. So Steve Gallo, uh, I think one impact I've had is after making chief, I've had a lot more um, DSG weekenders come up and ask me as a DSG, like, what did I do to set myself up to, you know, achieve the rank of chief and, so I explained my history, my background, and PMEs, obviously CCAF, everything you need to do. But um, you shouldn't be doing everything just to fill a square. You should be doing it because you want to. And you want to fill that square because you want to move up to make a difference um, on the base, in your unit, what have you. Um, you know, I always, you know, I always like to say that, you know, you want to become a chief one day. You don't want to become an E9. And I know that sounds degrading to some people, but, you know, my whole goal in life wasn't just for another dollar on a paycheck, right. you know, and when I had the opportunity to, um, to even have the opportunity to go in front of a chief board, you know, I felt honored. I didn't feel privileged. So, um, I enjoy talking with other younger DSGs and, um, you know, helping mentor them on putting them on the right path for future um, opportunities to, if that would include uh, chief one day. Um, 
I'll follow on just on the DSG part of it. Um, you know, it, it's important that we show that the DSGs matter to the mission. You know, they're just as deployable as our full-time, and we have more DSGs here than we do have full-time force. So it's a it, similar experience. I've been able to talk to multiple DSGs, and, you know, I, I was extremely humbled to even be considered for promotion. Uh, definitely opened my eyes um, coming into this rank. And, you know, I've been in chief now two and a half years. I've been with MSG, uh, I think almost a year in that role. Um, it, it's really just being able to give back. It, it's not about me. You know, it's about the airmen. And that should be at all levels. And even on, we talk about mentorship. You know, I can think back of mentoring when I was a young staff sergeant on active duty because we had airmen that didn't have training that was needed to just do the AFSC and was just closing the gap on something like that. And so not necessarily that we're fixers, but just really giving back and help developing those folks coming in behind us. So chiefs, you guys had a lot of impact on the wing since becoming a chief. You didn't necessarily have to be a chief to do that. Now being a chief, how do you in that role empower your teams to lead trust and allow them to get the mission done? Is it an easy process for you? Do you sometimes have to get involved? How do you relinquish the reins or control? Because I know for me personally, it was hard to go from being the person executing the mission and working versus now managing. And that's a little bit of a shift. I don't know if you guys have any experience with that shift. I'm seeing yeah. a lot of head nods. I think the biggest part of that for me is, for example, if if you're a chief and you're over, say, four or six different sections, you are not necessarily there to lead those sections. They have shop leaders that were hired or put in that position to run that. You were simply there to make sure they're to remove any roadblocks that those leaders might have so they can lead their sections. Um, never want to micromanage. Obviously, no one likes to be micromanaged. Um, sometimes you do have to get involved, and sometimes that's as simple as a redirect. Maybe um, a leader is doing something they don't realize is causing issues, or you're seeing something that's going to happen and because you've done it in the past and they don't know. So that's when you're able to take that individual aside and explain, you know, the actions they're taking and the the repercussions of what's going to happen, what they're doing, because you may have made that same mistake yourself along the way. Um, I think Chief Ravid mentioned earlier, if not, he said, you know, fail forward. So I'd like to say that. So um, being in as long as most of us have, we've made a lot of bad decisions. It, it happens. We're, we're human. But you take those bad decisions and you grow from it and go from there and you're able to help people go forward with that because you know the repercussions already yeah i'll add um somebody gave somebody trusted me and gave me the reins at one point early on in my career i try to do the same with my airmen because we need to be able to trust them and then we're available when they need assistance this is not a sink or swim environment if one person fails we all fail so we all have a stake in the mission, but we also have to trust in our airmen that they can do the job. They're highly intelligent. You touched on it earlier. They're smarter than me, right. like, especially with the new technology and everything else coming out. You know, there's things I can learn and impart, but we have a great young force that's in that I know that we're going to be in good hands here in the future long right. after I retire. 
I think too, some of that is it's on us too, right? We have to relinquish control, if you will, but we also have to know we did our job in mentoring them, guiding them, shaping them. Cause so it is a little bit of an internal reflection on ourselves. I know I, I'm not the best, most perfect supervisor. So I'm like, okay, I will take ownership on that. I missed the mark on that. Let me do better on that next time. I think that's just as important with these types of roles when you get into is that leadership ownership mentality as well. And I think to, to add to that too, from a full-timers perspective, is full-timers are so used to doing it every single day. It's, it's what they do. Mm-hmm. That, you know, There's not any learning curve there. They've been doing it for years. They've got the experience. And it's very difficult as a full-timer when a DSGs come in to step aside and become a trainer and relinquish, just like you said, sure, relinquish that control. That's very difficult for them. And I can remember telling a few full-time members in my past, it's like, you're not going to be here forever. These are the people that are going to take your place. So they need to know how to do the job as well as they can do it. And if you're doing it for them, they're not learning. So you need to either, you need to allow them to either fail or succeed on their own. What you need to make sure is they're not going to get hurt themselves and they're not going to hurt any equipment. Beyond that, just like Chief Ravid said, you know, they're going to learn from their failures more than they do their successes. Right. So from a full-time perspective, we get that on a day-to-day basis. And it doesn't matter what your rank is. Yeah. In your life, combining the personal and the professional, how do you feel like your Air Force training, your civilian sector, your family experience, because we've got a mixture of full-time and traditional guardsmen, how has that shaped you and having prepared you for this position? Well, honestly, I don't think any of us could have gotten here without support at home. That's just, that's just not possible. Right. Um, Master Sergeant Moody, I think, said it best. I don't remember what the setting was. I think we were in a class together, and he said, when we deploy, for us, we've got an easy job. We know what we've got to do. We're responsible for nobody but ourselves, for the most part, and we go downrange, we do our job. The people that have the hard jobs are the ones left at home doing everything on their own. And it's it's difficult for them. So I know I did I kind of got away from the question a little bit there, but I just think that's a huge important part that, you know, there may be some very young airmen out there that don't understand that or haven't seen it or haven't lived it. And, you know, always support those at home as well. I think that comes down to communication, right? The more we can communicate and share those experiences together, the stronger they make us as a family and as a, in a work environment too. Um, because when you do leave with your team, that becomes your new family. But how do you communicate that so your family still feels included and you're not growing apart and distant? Do you think those shape who you are and your family then? Like, do you think it's a ripple effect? Because your experiences are shaping you and then you go home? Yeah, well, absolutely. Because, I mean, we, we say it all the time. We have our guard family and we have our, our home family. And I think they both affect each other in some cases equally. Um, I can think back on different experiences and occasions where the guard family would be like questioning, what are you doing and why are you doing that? You know, it was something you picked up from either your kids or your wife or, or whoever that may be from your spouse. And then it's the same thing when you come home, especially from a deployment or you've been away TDY for a couple of weeks or whatever. 
and you've picked up maybe some good or bad habits. You know, <laughs> there's there's a little bit of both there. But then, you know, somebody in your family is like, what are you doing and why are you doing that? And it just so they absolutely affect each other. And it's it's a kind of a back and forth. And I think it it really makes us in the military, you know, unique. They each put us in check, I feel like. <laughs> That's a very good way of saying it. Yes. yes. Yeah. The the DSG side of it, having a civilian career, you know, full time career and then, you know, being in the military, it, one, it allows me to remember, you know, what our airmen are going through. You know, we're, we all have similar struggles. It is hard to balance everything, you know, especially if, you, you know, you've got the family, you've got the full-time job, you've got your commitments here, you know, with your guard family. School, college. School, college, yes. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that we're all going through. Um, it's helped me get to this point from that perspective. So um, it allows me just to remain, just to keep that perspective, main focused. I agree. The resiliency it gives us is unmatched anywhere. You get stretched pretty thin and you survive with help, right? So there's a unique component with that resiliency factor. There is, and it's actually missing in the civilian sector. So Mm -hmm. as we're hiring, you know, I work in the utility industry and we're hiring younger and younger uh, folks and they don't have the same resiliency that somebody that's a veteran Mm -hmm. uh, that has experienced different things that, you know, truly some of the work situations we deal with are going to be high stress based on the operations and the nature of our work. Right. Uh, but that's missing in the outside, and it's an absolute commodity that I know I hire for um, just in the positions that I'm, I oversee. Are they getting younger and younger, or are we getting older and older? And you don't have to answer that question. <laughs> Your yes. laugh. Chief, <laughs> Chief Gorman's getting older. <laughs> I concur. There's an airman working for me. I've got a leather jacket older than he is. <laughs> I appreciate that, Chief. Keep, please keep that jacket around. So Chief's with... 20 to 30 years in the military and coming from humble beginnings, starting as a E1, 2, or 3 in our junior ranks, what advice would you give to other non-commissioned officers or senior non-commissioned officers to stay humble even when you're progressing through the ranks? So for me, you know, when you hit that NCO core, it's not about you anymore. It's about the airmen and all the actions you're doing is about the airmen that are assigned to you. Um, you know, as you earn the different ranks, as you move up, um, as we have, we, we look back on our career and we look at what we've done because it's not about me. And, you know, it's the, the reason I sit here is I have worked with great teams. I've had great leadership along the way that have helped empower me. I'm trying to do that the same thing. So it's, it's not about you anymore when you hit that NCO rank. It's about the airmen that are assigned to you, and you have a responsibility to them. I think it's in the creed too, right? In it, the NCO creed. It yeah, is. The airmen under your charge. You're right. Do you think that that belief that will affect our younger generation, specifically as it relates to retention, us pouring into them, empowering them to take care of airmen they're in charge of? In the... The civilian workforce, we talk a lot about why somebody may leave a job. Right. And the common, it's it, it's no secret that if you don't have a good boss, you're not going to stay there. Mm-hmm. I think that goes along with the leadership as well. Um, I, it absolutely affects retention because, you know, like I want the airmen to know that or, you know, that fall within the wing here that I look after. They matter. I, you know, I care about them. And it, you know, it's, they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And if they don't feel like they're being cared and nurtured, why would they stay? 
How do you guys do that? How do you uh, care for your members? Well, Chief Gallo said it best. First thing we do is listen. Right. You say more by listening and understanding what they what their needs are. I can't begin to imagine some of the things that our younger airmen need because they have a different perspective than I do. So I need to know what they're, I need to hear what they're telling me so then I can make, make sure I'm making the appropriate decisions. Well, and I think in another very important part of that, which plays into all of this as well, is to know your airmen, to know your people. Because, you know, if you know your people well enough, you know, then when something seems off, you're going to notice that. And it's up to leaders at every level to be able to go up that individual, you know, all circumstances are different, but go up that individual and just ask questions, find out what's going on in their life. You know, it could be work. It could be something simple. It could be something catastrophic and you're not going to know if you don't ask. And that all comes back full circle, which is show the people you care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was my first sergeant instructor. His quote was, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. What ways do you think that the wing has improved in this area, in in our chief corps, in our chief council? And Colonel Wagner is huge on putting the right people in the right place at the right time. You can always improve on, on anything. Um, I think really what it boils down to, in my opinion, is that chiefs in general are just more approachable. And senior leaders, for that matter, are more approachable. And it makes it easier for those airmen to come talk to us, you know, and I think that matters. Whereas in the past, I mean, you can still see it in active duty. If you're a senior or a chief, they are literally scared of you to be in the same room as you. So, I mean, we've definitely kind of gotten rid of that stigma in the guard, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is approachability. And I, I hope that all the airmen out there hearing this know that they can absolutely approach any, any chief on base and ask any question, ask for help, and ask for some guidance. And if they don't know, they'll find out for you. Right. No I, different than a first sergeant. I like um, when you see someone with rank or a lot of stripes, well, you know they know something or they know someone who knows something, right? And I think that's where the approachability mindset comes from. I appreciate you guys have that because your first chief when you're an airman, you never forget and neither you can learn from them or you unlearn from them what they did wrong, right? So I, I well, like that. I think that sometimes up. you learn more from a, a poor boss or a poor leader than you do from a good one, if you're paying attention. So with that, say someone's having a difficult time. What steps would you recommend if they're having a difficult time in the workplace or personal or it's a toxic work environment? What would you recommend for them? And maybe we should go into describing what is a toxic work environment and then what steps would you give an airman, maybe not as empowered, to help kind of fix fix what they're going through? So I have a little bit of experience in this area my years in the IG. Uh, I've been able to work with the EO office on different cases around um, alleged toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it does exist. Um that toxin work environment, anytime I, I have worked uh, in a situation where we're looking to understand what the factors were, um, I saw where basically we had a disengagement between the front leader, frontline leaders and the airmen. And there was not an alignment. And even though there may be a disagreement, there still has to be understanding why when there's a disagreement. So if we've got, you know, young staff sergeant that, you know, is it, enforcing a standard, you know, 
The airmen have to understand why the standard is being enforced, and we need to be transparent in what information we can share. So when there's a breakdown in that communication and that leadership, that's when you start getting that toxic work environment because we have airmen that feel like nobody cares. Mm. So to help with that, one, you need to have a wingman. You've got to be able to talk to somebody. Um, you know, I, I will. T- my wife knows a lot about the wing here. A lot of good stories. You know, had some opportunities along the way. Um, but you know, she's a wingman for me. But I also have folks I reach out to um, on the military side that could be my wingman and kind of help keep me keep me in check when I'm going through things. And I think that'll help sometimes. But then the other thing is for our airmen there that maybe they feel like they don't have somebody to talk to. There are avenues you can go and talk to. There's resources that are available across the wing. Um, it's not just the IG. You know, we've got EO. We've got our chaplain's corps. We've got the first sergeants. There's plenty of folks we can come and talk to to ask for assistance. And sometimes it's just it's not understanding all the information that's there. So we don't have anybody here that wants to do a bad job. Right. All of the airmen here, we all are an all-volunteer force. We all care. So it's just that trying to understand what the differences are and trying to kind of get through that confusion within the communication to kind of get to the root of the issue. Um, but having those folks to reach out to, um, I think, would help a lot. So, Chiefs, how can both males and females empower enlisted members of the opposite gender and pursue to achieve more rank? The Chief Corps right now is all men. Do you guys feel like you miss 50% of that gender perspective? Do you lean on other people? Is that a culture shift we're embracing? How do you feel like you guys as a chief council can empower? Well, I'll answer the first part. Um, and this may sound like a big blue answer, but I, I truly believe it. You know, Take out the male and females. We're, we're all blue. Um, and I think everybody should look at it that way because, I mean, I don't care what your gender is. Everybody's got, you know, their strengths and everybody's got their weaknesses and we all balance each other out. Um, and I think one of the reasons, if you really stop and think about it, why the Chief Corps is 100% male is we're the old guys on base. So if you look at when we started, you know, out here, um, I'll date myself here. I started my military career in 1987. And to see a female in uniform didn't happen hardly ever. And you can look around our base in pretty much any shop, any AFSC, and you're probably going to find at least one female, if not multiples. And there are other AFSCs that are exactly the opposite, where you've got more females than males, or maybe even no males. But the point I'm trying to make is... As we progress as a military and we continue to integrate, you know, everyone and get more diverse than the Chiefs Council, again, with all the older people on base, are going to is going to get very diverse itself. So I, I don't think it's really any kind of discrimination or anything like that. I just think it's just part of how we how we've progressed as a military. And I mean, I honestly would invite a you know some diversity in that group whether you know regardless of what that looks like you know we're just talking male female at this point but diversity goes well beyond that yeah we have a great diverse force here um our younger airmen that are up and coming a lot of high performers i mean to your point i don't think it's going to be too much longer before we start seeing that diversity on the council we've talked about it from a council perspective we want to see that change and we know with our population here as us Old folks, we finally move on. 
I want to get out of the way of our high performers because I know they're going to do a better job than me. And it doesn't matter, you know, what our, our race or creed is. We know they're going to have a positive impact. I think we see that in the, even just the Amber of the Year awards. And I know we've had a lot of females over the past couple of years getting uh, recognized um, for some very good actions at work. And I think sometimes you could just see the high potential in some of these people and that, you know, they're going to, you know, term rank up quick, but it's what they're going to do. And like these other two older guys said, you know, we're all going to be retiring here either soon or sooner, <clears throat> sooner than later. And, you know, there, there is another, a young force coming up behind us that does include a, a lot of talented females. So I don't think the, uh, there's going to be an issue in the next, you know, five to 10 years of, um, lack of females on councils, especially the chief council. I really appreciated the airmen that I reached out to and they gave me questions because it wasn't, they didn't hold back and I appreciated that. And I also appreciated how their perspective and what they see and allowing you all to respond and not just assume. I really appreciated that. So as chiefs, you implement new guidelines, new AFIs, regulations, stuff like that. A big one that has dropped recently is the new maternal and paternal leave policies in place. So as a family, beginning to grow and continuing to grow, whether you're the primary, secondary parent, how do you improve in supporting military mothers and fathers? Well, honestly, I, I've said it before, um, you know, Family comes first. I haven't said that particular phrase, but families are important. You have to have that support group. So if we aren't supporting our airmen to support their families, regardless of what that looks like, then just like Chief Ravid said, you know, they're going to feel like they don't care and they're they're not going to stick around long. And, you know, most, most everybody out here, again, wants to do a good job. We want to make them feel important. And really, this isn't just a chief issue. This is more of a supervisor issue. And... As supervisors, we deal with, with new and different regulations all the time. And quite honestly, sometimes we lean on each other for advice. You know, it's like if it's something that we're that's not really in our wheelhouse, then, you know, we may go talk to another chief that we think it's in their wheelhouse or even another supervisor, whatever the case may be. But, I mean, we just make it work, just like the airmen make it work. It's That's what we're here for as, you know, chiefs, uh, you know, the commanders, they're in the same boat. I mean, there's a lot of times the commanders will ask us questions. You know, it's it's not an, an individual's issue. It's a leadership issue, and leadership as a group figures it out. And when we don't get it right, sometimes the airmen tell us, sometimes they don't. I wish they'd tell us every single time because we can't fix it if we don't know it's broken. Right. I think going back to the maternal and paternal leave, I mean, first I'm just jealous because – I was active duty. My wife was active duty at the same time, and we had three kids. And I think I got a couple of days off for each kid. <laughs> so, but I mean, seriously, I, I do think it's great. Um, that gives you know these new parents a lot of time to bond with with that child, which is important in in the very early stages. Um, you know, and a lot of times, you know, the mothers need a little extra help after having childbirth as well. And it's great that you know. Sometimes the husband or can be there to be supportive of, you know, the new baby and mother. So um, I, I think it's a great policy. Um, and I've had several people use it under me. Um, 
and I know they were very appreciative of that extra time to spend with their family. And honestly, I know because of having three kids, daycare is also a big issue. Mm-hmm. And most daycares won't take babies until they're a certain age. So, um, you know, guard's a little different because most guard people were from around here. You know, I was active duty. Um, our, you know, our parents weren't down the street. And uh, so we didn't have family to, so, you know, we relied on a good uh, family daycare and stuff, but having that extra time would have been even more helpful to us back then. I agree. The um, I'm jealous too. I did not get that as well. And I agree. And I also agree with when I was a single parent, daycare is was an issue and even more so over drill weekend. So I appreciate you guys recognizing that as well. So Chiefs, in closing, first of all, oh my gosh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy drill weekend, hanging out with me. Thank you so much. Thank you to the airmen that let me reach out to them, send in their questions. I hope I did you justice in asking them appropriately. But also, my own personal question, Chiefs are known from my perspective, so I will totally own this question. To leave someone with a little nugget, wisdom, or something of action they can they can go and put forth. So what chiefy thing do you have for us today? And we'll just go around the table. I think the one that I heard the most, I probably heard too much, but it does make the most sense, is every day is a job interview. So every time you're out there doing something in your work center or on base, just remember you know, everybody's watching, the airmen are watching, peers are watching. So, you know, make sure you do the right thing. I like that. Chief Gorman. What I have to say really is, and I talked about this earlier, don't get in your own way and take care of each other. Simple and easy. I, I like that. Chief Ravid. Yeah. Um, We've talked about leadership and we've talked about we need to make sure we're, we're treating airmen fairly. We also need to be consistent. And so we talk about, the, you know, throughout the profession of arms, we talk about the standards. And, you know, one thing I've learned along the way, you know, a standard isn't something that's written down. It's what we allow. So our airmen want to grow. They want to make sure they're being traded fairly and, cons- and consistently. So when we have those standards, it's not just something that's written on that piece of paper. But in your work area, are you allowing you know, that behavior to exist. So for our frontline leaders there, you know, it's, it's a tough challenge when you first get into that. Uh, so it's just something I've learned along the way that it's, you know, what you allow becomes the standard. So chiefs, thank you. Thank you so much for again, being here, airmen asking the questions and share the show. We want this to be the fastest growing military podcast out there. And that comes down to you guys. So share the show, share it with a friend or someone interested in joining And until next time, we'll see you out there.